again everyone and welcome to Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo and this is a podcast about communication skills. Uh, this is episode 92 of Now We're Talking and um, it comes at a time when there's a good bit of um, danger in the United States and a good bit of political unrest. Uh, a few weeks ago on January 6th, 2021, there was a violent insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and after that insurrection, I wrote an article for the local newspaper. I live here. I live in Canada. Um, I wrote an article for the local newspaper about whether it was possible that, that kind of violence could happen in Canada. And so this episode is sort of about about that. Um, the title is is how to know when communication will lead to violence. What kinds of communication lead to violence? Uh, and this is actually something we can know. It's fairly simple to identify and simple to to predict. So what I want to do today is talk about some of uh, three or four or five of the central communication practices that we know can generate violent action, uh, how to identify them, and then if we have time, maybe what we can do to, to counter them. Um, so I think um, we ought to worry when we see something like the mob violence in Washington, because that mob violence didn't just happen on its own. It was the product of rhetoric. It was a product of communication practices. And I think the kind of polarization that exists in the U.S. right now uh, that produced the kind of hatred and violence that we saw in the U.S. Capitol is a product of specific forms of communication. Um, this is another way of arguing that words create worlds and or the more simple kind of claim violent communication begets violent action. So obviously this podcast is about the fact that communication is about producing effects on others. It's not about the transmission of information. So violent forms of communication, one of the effects or outcomes are violent actions. And we know that kind of communication that clears the way for violence has been practiced in the same sorts of ways for literally thousands of years. And so I just want to talk about some of those ways that have been around with us that Trump used successfully in leading up to January 6th and that we can see others using on a daily basis. Uh, so the first basic communication practice that leads to violence is uh, the construction or the mapping of a world through an us versus them division. It's one of the hallmark characteristics of fascism. Uh, that's what drove the Nazis, this us versus them division. It's the central feature of nearly every Trump speech. I mean, Trump can't make a speech without constructing a dichotomy between an us and an them. And it is perhaps the best and oldest practice for inciting and justifying violence. Um, this is actually pretty easy to do, but whenever you see someone say, we are the pure people, we are good people, they over there are dangerous, are criminals, are um, dirty or polluted, etc. Um, there's no real objective difference between an us and a them. That difference is constructed rhetorically or in and through communication by highlighting some feature of an us and some feature of a them and, and, and drawing a distinction between those two features. So the first thing to look out for is this kind of mapping the world between an us and a them. When you, you know, um, this even happens, so it's not just Trump, right? It happens inside 
relationships. Uh, so let's say you're in a fight with your partner and you're, you're like, well, women don't understand that the world is like X and we men know, you know, know better that we have to do, do Y. So we've constructed, you know, women are over there, men are over here. We have, I'm with us, I'm with men, you're with them, the women, and we have this division now. Constructing a division accelerates um, or positions us in con into conflict with one another. So it's a conflict that's accelerant, essentially. Um, so once we have the world divided or mapped be between an us and a them, um, we can use what are known as ad baculum arguments. An ad baculum argument is an appeal to force or an intimidation. Um, an appeal to force is generally used to silence someone else. It, the, the, the purpose of an ad baculum argument or an appeal to force is literally to shut someone up. Um, so the, we, we, you know, Trump does this all the time. Like, you know, maybe that guy over there is part of the media. Maybe we should rough him up a little bit. Um, that's an appeal to force or intimidation. Um, you know, if, if leakers should be prosecuted by the full extent of the law, you know, that's a kind of threat. It's a, it's a suggestion of intimidation. Ad baculum, um, these kinds are, are essentially kinds of threaten, threats that bullies make. Um, so if you're a teenager and you're in school and someone comes by and is like, you know, if you, if you, if you don't do this thing for me, then I'm going to shove you in your locker and lock you in there. I, I worked with a guy. Uh, I was a line cook for a long time, and I worked with a guy named Eggy, ironically enough. Uh, he was a bit shaped like an egg, but he was a failed golfer. So at work, he used to bring a golf club with him everywhere. I don't know why, uh, even at work. And some some of us used to go out after work to somebody's house or drink, party, whatever. And Eggy used to threaten me with the golf club. He would say, and, you know, if you show up at one of these parties, I'm going to beat you senseless with this golf club. That's an ad baculum argument. It's an appeal to force or intimidation. So if you have an us-them distinction... And then you have an ad baculum argument. You're in danger of, you're coming very, very close to, to violence. Uh, in addition to those two practices, we have two others, the ad hominem attacks and reification. Uh, ad hominem attacks are when you attack a person instead of the argument that you're making. Uh, so I hear a lot lately the, the phrase libtard, um, to describe a liberal or a progressive person. And it's a portmanteau, it's a combination of retard and liberal, obviously. That is a classic ad hominem attack. So the person, instead of, let's say a liberal or progressive person wants you know, a COVID relief plan passed and uh, money distributed to people who are unemployed because of COVID. And someone else on Facebook is just like, well, that's stupid libtard over there. Um, they don't know what they're talking about. So you've chosen to attack the person instead of the argument that people need economic relief and uh, the government's job is to, to produce that economic relief for people who are struggling in these unusual circumstances. Instead of attacking that person's argument or the policy recommendation that they've made, you've attacked the person themselves. You've called them names. So ad hominem attacks you know, happen in public. They happen in private. Trump, of course, is a master of the ad hominem attack. Uh, he calls, uh, I remember in an interview with Anderson Cooper way back four years ago, he called Anderson Cooper un dishonest. He's like, well, you're a really dishonest person, Anderson Cooper. Um, 
and Anderson Cooper was just merely asking him about a poll that suggested he Trump was was quite unpopular. So instead of responding to the argument about Trump's popularity, he just attacked Anderson Cooper uh, and his person instead of instead of the argument. So okay, you got the world mapped in between us and them. You've got an appeal to force or intimidation. You've got a personal attack on another person. Uh, and finally, you've got reification. Reification is when you treat another person as an object or a thing. And you treat the other person as an object or a thing to sort of change the subject, to delegitimize those other people, and, and often to strengthen the division between us and them. So about four years ago when, when Trump was first elected, uh, there was a crisis of Syrian refugees. And Trump kind of like in a, his rhetorical genius, at first America was going to accept some of these refugees. Um, and then the Trump administration reversed its course on accepting refugees, but he needed a, a kind of communicative practice that would legitimate the re re reverse of course. So instead of calling them refugees, Trump actually called them a Trojan horse. And so in, in, a, in a press conference, he famously said, he's like, well, I don't know, but it looks like it looks like a Trojan horse to me. And a Trojan horse is not a real person. Of course, it's a famous uh, gift given anyway to surprise an enemy so that they could be attacked from, from within. So here now you have us and them working. Um, you don't have a personal ad hominem attack against the the refugees. He hasn't threatened the refugees. Of course, to threaten refugees would be particularly cruel, even for Trump. So instead of doing those two things, um, he uses reification. He turns them from people into objects, from refugees into a Trojan horse, which is a thing. Um, if you've ever hear ever heard the phrase "Oh, my old ball and chain," or as for someone that that's someone trying to refer to their wife or their husband or their partner, uh, that's another example of reification, treating another human being like an object. In this case, a ball and a chain. So whenever you've described a person as an object instead of a person, you've reduced them to and tried to delegitimize them. And you've strengthened division between you and them because you cannot longer see their humanity. You see this other objectified feature of them. So those four are particularly devastating. Um, and if you find all four of them at work together, and in Trump's rhetoric, obviously, we find this over and over again, us, them, uh, ad hominem attacks, ad baculum arguments, and reification all working constantly. And lo and behold, we get the violence at the Capitol on January 6th as, as an outcome, and increases in all kinds of violence across the U.S. in the four years that he was president. It really shouldn't surprise anyone. Um, I think the, the lesson here for those of you that are listening is that you want to look out for these four communication practices in particular. And if someone is using those four communication practices together or with a high degree of frequency, you should assume that that person has a tendency toward violent action or is likely to instigate violent action. Um, sometimes those forms of speech are aided by hyperbole. Hyperbole is an intentional exaggeration. It's not designed to offer an accurate account of the world. Instead, it's designed to provoke a response and to gain attention. So you can then exaggerate the ad baculum, ad hominem, and reification and us them devices that you've used. And hyperbole would be the fifth um, kind of uh, 
marker of potential violence. So it, on its own, it's not um, it's not necessarily indicative that violent action will follow. But when it's added to those four previous communication practices, it becomes a kind of accelerant for 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 violence. Um, so let's talk for a second about why. Why treating people like objects? Why ad baculum threats? Why ad hominem attacks? Why us and them arguments work the way they do? Um, obviously, we talked in, in, during this podcast about communication as a process of producing effects. So what do you know? Any objectified person who's on the receiving end of threats and uh, personal attacks is going to respond to those threats in a number of ways your body will instinctively react to perceived threats by unleashing a cascade of hormones like adrenaline and cortisol, and they activate the fight-flight reaction. Um, so these communication patterns are the most likely patterns that to activate fight-flight responses. Um, and once those fight-flight responses are activated, you can get upset and you can lose perspective. You can lose empathy for someone who's tormenting you. Um, so the fight-flight reaction explains why anger often leads to violence, whether they're just violent thoughts, violent impulses, violent words, or violent actions. And that violence isn't necessarily physical or necessarily directed at others. Um, you can turn that violence against yourself if you want and regularly attack yourself with your own judgments, your own guilt, and your own shame. Um, but the, the regardless, the, the kind of violence has to be turned towards some place because you've activated this fight-flight response system. Um, and that is really, um, I mean, we've talked about Trump a lot in this podcast, but if you really want to get attention you need conflict. Conflict drives attention. How do you get conflict? How do you amplify conflict? Well, with these communication practices that are productive of, of violence, that's how you do it. Um, so, I mean, I, I was asked, you know, could this thing sort of happen in Canada? Uh, could what happened in the U.S. happen in Canada? And I think all you need to do is you can take um, a cursory look at um, whatever, wherever you are listening right now, take a cursory look at the kinds of places you get your, your news or the kinds of things you listen to and the kind of things other people around you uh, listen to or read. Um, and if you see the seeds of these kinds of rhetorical practice, if you see people explicitly using us, them, uh, rhetoric, ad baculum, ad hominem, reification, and hyperbole, if you have all five of them present in the kinds of media people consume, then they're going to be agitated. Their fight or flight response is going to be um, activated. They're going to be looking for uh, violence. Either that violence would be directed at others or directed at themselves uh, because violent rhetoric produces violence. It's sort of like uh, a crappy diet producing bad health. If you only eat cookies all day long, you're not going to be in very good shape. Um, also, I think the important thing to, to note about violent rhetoric or uh, these communication practices is that they opt out of the process of persuasion. They're, they're basic, all of those communication practices are basically saying, I'm not interested in changing someone else's mind. I'm just interested in, in demonizing and delegitimizing another person. So I, I said in some, in some episode, or probably in many episodes, that one of the things communication does is it brings us into relationship with people. That relationship can be qualitatively 
you know, it, what depends what kind of communication we use will matter for the kind of relationship we build. These practices build relationships of hostility and antagonism and conflict. Um, so when we see the use of us, them rhetoric appeals to force and personal attacks and reification and hyperbole, we need to realize that the person using that kind of speech has decided that they're not interested in persuasion. Uh, and the, the, like that's the to me, that's the key. If the person is not interested in persuasion, then how do you suppose they're going to treat you? They're going to treat you as an object to be delegitimized, and therefore um, it, it can be a rational conclusion that you could be the object of their violence also, that violence directed at you is legitimate if they're not interested in persuading you. Um, so communication practices that are instead based on reason and respect and deep listening, they're actually the practices that prioritize persuasion. Um, and they're the kind of practices generally we need in, in a democracy. And sadly that Trump did not have. Uh, the problem is of course, too often we reduce ourselves to ad hominem attacks and ambaculum threats of force and careless hyperbole because they're easier, frankly. It's really hard to persuade every, just to persuade other people. It's much easier to just attack them and delegitimize them because if you've delegitimized them, then you don't have to worry about their positions or their opinions uh, in the public sphere. You can just sort of ignore what they have to say because what they have to say is sort of by definition illegitimate. Okay, so what do we do to prevent uh, the US Capitol insurrection from happening elsewhere or again? Uh, it requires us to consciously choose to avoid rhetoric that leads to violence or communication that leads to violence. Uh, we do that, and here's an analogy, we can do that the same way we embrace a better diet. We can learn to identify the communication practices that reduce others to stereotypes that carve the world into us and them that use hyperbole and ad hominem and ad baculum. We can learn to identify those things just like we learn to identify foods that are un unhealthy. Um, so identify them. Once you've identified them, you're in a better position to not allow those practices to trigger the fight or flight response. We can also make better choices. We can choose to make arguments in good faith. We can choose to treat others, even those who are wrong as fully human. And we can resist the urge to, to um, objectify others or to, to engage in the kind of practice ourselves that I just described. Um, and here's perhaps the biggest thing Social media is a wonderful um, thing, but Twitter and Facebook are not set up to encourage respect, thoughtfulness, and deliberation. Um, instead, what you get is a whole buffet of forms of the rhetoric that I just described. So if you're constantly only going to places where the communication, the habitual and commonplace communication practices are ad baculum, ad hominem, hyperbole, reification and us them divisions then those are the that, that's the world you're going to inhabit those are the practices you're going to use and that world will 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 be a violent world ultimately um, so we can't um, only exist inside an ecology that um, that uses those five communication practices um, okay so uh, I think it's important to just recognize that Violence doesn't come out of, of nowhere. It's a product of communication. And violence is more often than not a product of five specific communication practices used repeatedly. And those five practices are a rhetoric of division between us and them, 
add baculum threats of force, ad hominem attacks against a person, reification treating another person as an object instead of a person, and hyperbole exaggerating uh, a difference. Uh, so be on the lookout for those five communication practices, and when you see them, assume that violence will be not far around the corner. Uh, okay, so that's it for this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, it's good to be back, and I hope everyone is well during this crazy time. Thanks.